Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our loving Savior who continually pursues us with His grace day after day. Amen. I'm going to tell you that when I was a little boy, I wasn't perfect, and in fact, I did throw some temper tantrums. And now that might come to a surprise for some of you, but it happened. And when I threw temper tantrums, my mom would come to me and she would give me two options, two of them, only two, not three, not five, two. Option A, I could keep crying and keep pouting and keep whining and sit out by myself and miss all the fun activities that we had planned. Or option B, I could stop crying and then come and join the family and have fun. Um, Most of the time, I would say I chose option B, not because I was smart enough to choose option B, but because my mom made the option so easily clear to choose from. And so usually I chose option B. When Jesus confronts sinners, he comes to us with two options, not option C, but just like my mother, option A And option B, A, we can kill him and do without him forever by removing him from our minds. Or option B, we can be killed by his love and have a new life with him forever. And Jesus, like my mother, he makes the options pretty easy, at least easy to see which is better unless that is we harden our hearts, that's when there's a confrontation between God and our souls. And today we'll see Jesus in a confrontation with the Jewish leaders. We'll see Jesus standing opposed to the Jewish leaders, and we'll learn from this confrontation as well. Pastor Patterson said and told us that we're in Holy Week And we're going to focus here on Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life. And so Sunday we call Palm Sunday. That's actually next Sunday that we'll celebrate that. That's when Jesus rides in triumphantly to Jerusalem. And then on Monday he goes to the temple and he gets very upset and he's angry because the people that are selling the animals for the sacrifices and all the money lenders, they're there only to make money and not to actually help people worship God. And so he kicks them out of the temple. And then Tuesday, he goes back to the temple and he spends the entire day there with the Jewish leaders and with the people. And you might hear Tuesday called Teaching Tuesday because that whole day, he's teaching the people, he's teaching the Jewish leaders, even though he knows they want to kill him because that plan has been in action since before Holy Week. He's not scared of what they're going to do to him, but... Instead, he's there teaching them, reaching out to grab their hearts. And so we see the, Pharisee, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other chief priests, the Jewish leaders, standing there. And before the Holy Week too, and even in this moment, they knew what Jesus was saying about himself. They knew what Jesus was doing, and they knew what his claims were, and they just couldn't handle it. 
And today we're going to focus at, on Luke chapter 20, verses 9 to 19. But there's this really interesting exchange bet- between the leaders of the Jews and Jesus right before, immediately before. If you look at verses 1 through 8 of chapter 20, um, you see this interesting exchange. The, the, the Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, by whose authority are you doing these miracles? By whose authority are you teaching and saying these things? And instead of giving them a direct answer, Jesus says back, well, do you remember John the Baptist? Remember he was baptizing people? That's how he got his name. Was his baptism from heaven or was it from man? So the Pharisees, they gather together and they're talking amongst themselves. Well, okay, we got the two options. We can either say that he, we could say that it's from heaven, but, but if we say it's from heaven, Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe John then? So we can't say that. That's a bad answer. But if we say it's from man, the people are going to rebel and we're going to lose their respect and we're going to lose their obedience because they thought John was a prophet. So that's a bad answer too. Well, we'll say, we don't know. Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus replies back, well, then I'm not going to tell you by whose authority I do these things. And it's in this interesting exchange that we see the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew that Jesus and John the Baptist were something else. They were doing things and saying things that only God could do, and they knew it. And yet they still wanted only to kill Jesus. And Jesus wasn't scared. Instead, he told them a story that was going to increase their agitation against him. It was just going to stir the pot more and make their blood boil. But he does so because he wants to grab their attention. He wants to get them to look at themselves. So let's listen to that story that Jesus tells the Pharisee. The, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders. You can find it on page 8 or follow along on the screen. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and then went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. But that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third. And they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them. And asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom the stone falls will be crushed. 
the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. This is the word of our Lord. When you read this parable, it's easy to get lost in the actions and the attitude of the owner. Especially when we read it centuries later, centuries after Jesus actually spoke it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jewish leaders. But in that moment, in that immediate context, the Pharisees didn't get lost. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, that every word he spoke was directed at them. So what did, the, what did the Jewish leaders hear Jesus say about them? They heard Jesus say, You Jewish leaders, you were given everything. You had it all. You had it made. You had the promises made to the fathers, the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You had the promises and the blessings made to King David. You had it all. God gave you this beautiful vineyard. And yet, you didn't want to live in God's vineyard that he gave you. You wanted to live in your vineyard. And I know that you're going to kill me, and I know you want to kill me. It's going to happen. And what's going to happen when you kill the son? You told me yourself the owner of the vineyard is going to come and he's going to destroy the ones who kill his son. And he's going to take this vineyard away from you. And he's going to give it to others. The Pharisees knew that's what Jesus was saying. The Pharisees knew that this was the message, the sentence Jesus was laying against them. And yet they only wanted to kill Jesus more. They couldn't handle what Jesus was saying about them. And to add heat to the fire, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying about himself. Jesus was saying, I am the son in the parable. I am the son of the owner of the vineyard, the owner who gave you this vineyard to work in, and you're going to kill me. And I know it's going to happen. And when you kill me, that's going to be the very thing that gives you life. I am the one who can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me because I am what matters. It's all about me, the Son. And the Pharisees heard this, and they couldn't handle this truth that Jesus was laying against them. They couldn't handle the message that Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. So why do you think Luke preserved this account, this story, this parable, this confrontation with the Jewish leaders? Why do you think Luke recorded it? Was it for us just to say and see, look at how hard-hearted those Jewish leaders are. They just never get it. How could they never get it? No, he didn't record it just for the Pharisees and to show that. With this parable comes a warning for us, for our lives, for our hearts, and for our relationships. So look deeply at yourself. 
Look deeply into the inner depths of your, of your heart and into the back, into those thoughts that creep into the back of your mind. What do you find? What options do you see yourself choosing time and time again? What's that motivation that drives all your actions and all your choices? What do you discover about yourself? Maybe you find that you think yourself a fairly decent person. In fact, you're the person that seems to have the answers normally. A lot of people come to you to help them fix their problems and to solve issues and resolve issues. You've got it all the answers, and you can do pretty well on your own. Or maybe you find that thought creeping into your mind sometimes that you're a pretty decent person. You mean, I mean, no one's perfect, right? We all know that, but you're not too far off. And in fact, I, I'm not that bad of a person, and I don't need Jesus as much as those other people outside. I don't need him as much as that, so I can handle it pretty much on my own. When you start thinking that way and you let those thoughts creep into your, your mind and your heart, that's how you cast off Jesus and what he says about himself and his words. That's how you and I kill Jesus for what he says about himself. And what's Jesus going to do if we let that happen, if we continue down that path? He's going to do what he said he'd do to the Pharisees. He's going to take the vineyard away and he's going to give it to others. And Jesus doesn't want to take the vineyard away from the Pharisees. He doesn't want to take it away from us. He wants to give the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders, all those Jewish people and us, life. And so he let them kill him. And in, the de- in his death, the death of the Son became the very act that enabled the leaders of the Jews, and us to have eternal life. Think about this Tuesday of Holy Week a little bit. There's Jesus standing amongst his fiercest enemies, men that want to kill him, and yet he's not scared. And yet he's just standing there, and he's telling them words that seem harsh and strong and seem only to incite their anger upon them. But this parable, this story that he tells them, though it seems harsh and hard and hard to hear, it's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees needed. It's exactly what these Jewish leaders needed to hear because it was done out of love, out of intense love for this, these people. And if you read a couple chapters before Luke chapter 20, you're going to find Jesus outside of Jerusalem looking at the city of Jerusalem and he's weeping. He's weeping, not because he's mad or upset, but because he has such an intense love for the people. He's sad that they're not all his, even the Jewish leaders. And so he does the most loving thing that he says he can do. And he brings harsh, seemingly harsh words, hard words to listen to, to the Pharisees, to strike at their heart, to cut out Satan's chokehold around their heart and to kill their pride and their arrogance. And he needs to be direct. He needs to be bold. He needs to be <clears throat> excuse me, sharp with his words because he has to pierce through a very hard heart against him 
the hearts of these Jewish leaders. So he can plant seeds. Seeds that might blossom into new life. And because he's telling them exactly what's going to happen to him, what he's going to do, what they're going to do to him. And so when these events unfold during Holy Week and the words that he says comes true, these little seeds that are planted in their hearts may be watered by the fulfillment of his words and blossom and bloom into new life because of the love of Jesus. Jesus had given them time and time again with these words that he's spoken before events happened, many opportunities to see that it's all about him. And we know that it worked on at least two of the Jewish leaders. We're told that there's a a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, and in John 3, when when Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the famous passage, John 3, 16, he's speaking that to Nicodemus, so that's how the connection there. And then the man who took Jesus off the cross and buried him in his family's tomb, he also was a Jewish leader. That's Joseph of Arimathea. So we know that this confrontation worked on at least two of the Jewish leaders. And that's why Jesus came and confronted them. That's why he was there standing amongst his fiercest enemies because he wanted more Nicodemuses. He wanted more Josephs of Arimathea. And he had given them the one solution. That's why he quotes Psalm 118. That's why he says, The stone the builders reject, me who you're going to kill, that stone will become the cornerstone. Jesus will become the foundational block, the thing that is the most important stone in the entire building, the cornerstone, the capstone. And so when you're looking for the solutions, when you're looking for satisfactions, and you're thinking about all those thoughts going on in your mind and those feelings in your heart and the choices that you're making and the options that you have before you on how to satisfy and solve this problem that we have. Look to where Jesus wanted the Pharisees to look. Look to Jesus. Look to that cross where he fulfilled the ultimate love that he could show for us, laying down his life for us. When I read through this parable, a lot of times I find that this parable is crazy. I see a man, a father, who has a dire and violent situation in front of him, and he sends his son to face a bunch of mobsters, a bunch of gangsters. And all I can think is, what father in his right mind would send his son into that? What mother in their right mind would send their son into that? I know I wouldn't. But God did. Why would God send his one and only son into a violent and dire situation? It's because God is not in his right mind. God is not in his right mind. He's in his grace-filled God mind. And he made his fiercest enemies 
his friends. He stood in amongst his fiercest enemies and he taught them the truth in love. He made his once fiercest enemy, he made you part of his family and he brought his once fiercest enemy, you, into his vineyard to live with you, to live with him, excuse me, forever. Because he is crazy with love and with grace for you. And that's all he wants to show you is how crazy in love with grace he is for you. I'm going to go back to when I was a little boy. And I told you that not all, most of the time I chose option B. Remember option B? I could join in the fun after I stopped crying and pouting. But there was sometimes that I would choose option A because I was stubborn and I wanted my way. And so when I would choose option A, my parents would make me sit out and I wouldn't be part of the family. I wouldn't be, well, I would be part of the family. I'd be away from the family and I would be sitting out, missing out on all the fun activities. And I thought that I was going to be facing those consequences forever. It didn't seem like the, the sitting out was going to end. But then after a little while, my mom would come back to me and she'd sit right down next to me And she'd say, Benjamin, because when I was in trouble, I was Benjamin, not Ben. She'd say, Benjamin, you still have the same two options. You can, option A is still, you can keep crying, keep whining, keep pouting, and you can still sit here. Or, same thing, option B, you can stop crying. And you can come join us and have fun. And she would keep coming back to me and doing that after a little while, until I I saw the light, until I realized option B is the only way life's going to move forward. And so I I would do that eventually. But what makes my mom, what made my mom, come back to me time and time again? It's because she loved me, right? It's because she didn't want me to miss out on what was going on with the family. She didn't want me to miss out on the good times and the love of the family that we had all together with these activities or whatever it was we were doing. And that's what Jesus does for you, too. It's what he did for the Jewish leaders. He comes back to you. He pursues, pursues you with his grace over and over and over again because he loves you and he wants you to be part of his family. And so today we have those same two options that he's always presented before us. Option A, we can kill Jesus and his cry to be our promised, loving, personal Savior. Or option B, we can let his love kill us and give us a new life that we live with him. And by the power of his love, we can choose for him to be the owner of our vineyard. Amen.